to Disorderly Dogs, the podcast for dog owners. If you find yourself in precarious predicaments with your dog, this podcast is for you. I'm Rachel Harris. I'm a certified professional dog trainer, and I hope to give you a fresh outlook on your dog's behavior and practical dog training advice. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of Disorderly Dogs, the podcast. Um, Ashley is with me again today. We're going to talk all about things, dogs off leash, the wilderness, wild animals, all of those things. Okay, so guys, we really appreciate your feedback. I know I asked in the Facebook group a while ago about some follow-up questions, and we are going to get to all of those today. Okay, so let's start by talking about dogs who have a very strong prey drive. Because I know that like it's 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 not that you don't have dogs who do this in your care, right? So for everyone listening, if you you aren't familiar, do you want to just tell everybody what you do for work? Yeah, sure, totally do that. Um, so I'm Ashley, and for the last 12 years I have led groups of dogs on off-leash adventure hikes with a focus on natural enrichment, natural instincts, uh, confidence building, giving them choices and positive reinforcement. So basically I've spent over a decade just running around the forest with a bunch of dogs. Living the dream, I think is what we totally. call it. <laughs> 100% living the dream, I gotta say. Um, but yeah, I definitely do have dogs that have varying um, scent drives, prey drives, um, and I've dealt with quite a few different um, different dogs on like what I would call the spectrum from prey drive. So some dogs have a really low prey drive to basically zip. Um, and some dogs have an extremely high prey drive. Um, generally for me, when I do like a pre, a pre-trial consult, so like a meet and greet, I do go over those sort of things with people. So I do ask them, um, you know, have you ever experienced coyotes or deer or cows um, what was your dog like? Does your dog particularly show a lot of interest to birds, to squirrels? Um, because all of that is important. It all adds up. Um, and so generally, if I have a dog who, say, you know, has a really high propensity to chase even birds, uh, I generally won't accept those dogs, to be honest. Um, I do have a few dogs, like I have a beagle who comes and stays with me often, um, and she has to stay on a long line because she is just far too scent driven. Like she can be sitting right next to me on that long line and I can be throwing treats at her and there's nothing happening. She's so focused on her scent. So she's a dog that has to stay on a long line. And I have had a few other dogs like that, mostly huskies um, because huskies. Um, So (laughs) I generally, I will put some dogs on long lines Um, But there are some dogs who just aren't a good candidate because they just have such a high prey drive. And I'm not a trainer yet, so I'm not going to suggest to someone that I'm going to take their dog out and and work on that because I'm not there yet. Um, Hopefully one day I'll be there. But um, for now, (laughs) for now, I try to sort of, you know, set dogs up for success. So if a dog is, is decent enough. Um, with their prey drive, then then we can work on it. And for those dogs that are a little worse, then they're on a long line. And for some dogs, it's just, I'm sorry, I can't <laughs> take your dog. 
Yeah, um, right. And I love that you draw that boundary. And I think that it's helpful for the listeners to know this, right? That it isn't just like yeah. you just accept every dog and they're all super good for you. No, you're very thoughtful and strategic about <laughs> making sure that your service is suited for these dogs, right? And if it's not, Absolutely. you take the, the necessary precautions. Absolutely. And like for those dogs that, um, you know, if I, if, I, if I know that the dogs have a bit of a prey drive for birds or for squirrels, um, for instance, I have Roxy, she's, um, like a bully mix and she likes to dig and she will completely shut off to the point that you can be like, where the heck is Roxy? And she's 20 feet away from you, but you won't even know she's there. Um, so that's when the GPS callers come in handy and that's, that's the fail safe for those. Um, that way I have something that I can track them with and I do know where they are going if there is, um, an encounter where they do decide to follow that scent drive. Um, at least I can track them that way. And like, you know, I think that some dogs, right. Without a ton of like devoted effort and commitment from the owner, right. Like you can't be responsible for that, right. Like your job is to get dogs out to party, not to like do all of the legwork to get them to that point. Right. So um, I think yeah. so for everyone listening, I, I just want to be clear that like it is possible in certain contexts to make it doable, but there are Absolutely. undeniably those situations in which the dog should 100% be on a long leash, yep. <laughs> right? Like those situations definitely exist. Yeah. And those, and those situations are generally dogs that um, have had a very intense history of, of following scent drives, like hours away from their owners after a scent. Um, those are the kind of dogs that I'm talking about that are just not suitable. Um, and then there's dogs that like, oh, hey, like my dog followed this deer scent for 10 minutes and then came back. Okay, cool. I can work with that. That's, that's doable. Um, my dog took off for three hours and we had no idea where he was. Not for me. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> that's not for me. But you're absolutely right that I do... I do need a bit of, of help from the owners. Um, you know, owners do need to put in a bit of legwork if, if they want their dogs to be off leash. Um, I need them to also be working with their dogs off leash and, and keep things consistent. Um, because if, if the owners aren't practicing the same sort of behaviors that we're doing, then it's not consistent and dogs won't consistently behave the way you want them to. Yeah, right. Okay. So, um, okay. So another listener question was about like, how do you handle when dogs run off? So like, okay. So for everyone listening, so when we're talking about GPS callers worth their weight in gold, right? Like worth their weight in gold. But like, can you tell the listeners, like, how are you handling that? Like if a dog runs off and they, I mean, I'm sure you're, you're very strategic about using those collars on the dogs that need them the most, but well, right now, because I only have seven of the callers, um, I'm pretty strategic with which dogs I put them on. Um, I'm hoping to have the full set of 10 so that every dog in my group can wear one just for the extra peace of mind. Um, it's also really neat just to see like how fast they're going, where they went, how much, how many kilometers they take. Like it's pretty crazy that way. Um, and it's also nice for me, GPS wise, to know where the heck I am. Um, <laughs> but that's besides the point. Um, so definitely worth their weight in gold. Um, I wish I had gotten them sooner. So I thank you for that actually, because you're the one who influenced me to get them. 
Um, and now I'm like, why have I been doing this for 12 years, never using GPS collars? So now, now I use them. Um, but prior to that, dogs running off does happen. Um, I don't like to sugarcoat it, and I don't even sugarcoat it for clients when they ask me that question, like, have you had a dog run off? Yes. Um, it does happen, and that's the reality of working with dogs. They're not perfect. Um, and that's why when someone says their dog has a hundred percent perfect recall, I won't believe them because dogs are dogs and there are a hundred different variables out there. Um, so I'm trying to think off the top of my head, the most memorable experiences so that I can kind of give a context with what I've had experience with. Um, so the one that, that comes up on the top of my head is, uh, Dawson. He was a purebred Siberian Husky. And he did relatively well off-leash. He, he got the privilege of being off-leash. Uh, but one day we came across a random herd of cattle that were not supposed to be in this ravine, and he decided that he wanted to chase them. Um, that was my learning experience where I first learned that dogs will return to where they last saw you or where your vehicle is. So that's my general rule when dogs run off is don't panic. Um, and they, they majority of the time will come back. They will come back, um, where they're supposed to be like, wherever they last saw you, wherever you entered the trail, they go back to common, um, common areas that you've been to. So for Dawson, when he took off, um, I went after him and spent probably six hours tracking him, um, trying wow. to find him because I had just, I was uh, probably my year two or three three into the business um and this was probably the first time I'd ever have a dog like lost and so I was panicking and I followed him and it got dark and we got stuck on this friggin hillside it was a whole thing anyway couldn't find him we lost track of him couldn't hear him anymore and got back to the got back to the vehicle he wasn't there his owner came out to look for him um, it got really, really late. So his owner packed in for the day. He was going to come back out in the morning. Some friends ended up just, just driving out to the trailhead at like midnight. Just drove out to the trailhead, popped out of their car, called the name once. And that bugger came flying out of the darkness and hopped into their car like nothing had happened. <laughs> like we were just supposed to wait the like 12, it was 12 hours later. Like we were supposed to just wait the 12 hours for him. And so from then on, I started to trust him that if he did peace out, he always ended up meeting us back at the vehicle. And so I, I eventually stopped taking him because it just wasn't worth the headache. Um, but he taught me the lesson that dogs do return back. And so I try to keep that in the back of my mind if a dog does beeline out of my sight for a little while. Um, if you hunker down and wait where you last saw them, they come back there. Oh my God, dude, that is so that's not, that's not even a correct answer, but that's okay. <laughs> yes, it is. No, that was a really great answer. And I think that the, the, the don't panic thing. And like, I don't know, I feel like for, for, for me, something that's been super valuable is not constantly thinking about worst case scenarios. Yeah. You can't spend your whole day thinking about a worst case scenario. If you're going to do that, don't take yep. the dog off leash. That would be my best advice, right? Like if you are so worried, do not take the dog off. Don't do that, yeah. right? Yeah. But you have to feel confident in the dog's ability and your ability. It is, it's a partnership. It's, 
it's teamwork, yeah. right? And like, that's, that's the missing piece for a lot of people, right? Is they don't yeah. have that working relationship with the dog. And they mm-hmm. just think that like, oh, the dog's off leash. They should just come when I call them. Like, I wish, no, but that's not the way that it works. No, you're absolutely right. You have to have that partnership. And, and I work really, really hard to get that partnership with every dog that's in my program. Um, because then you have a less chance of them running off. And the only instances that I have of dogs running off, because everybody that's always everybody's worst fear is, oh my God, my dog is going to like take off and I'm going to lose my dog. So my dog's going to take off and die somehow. And that's just not how it works, at least not in my 12 years of experience. The only times I've had dogs take off has been high prey drive, so Dawson, um, or fear. So thunderstorms, gunshots, and random strangers on the trail are my top, the only instances that I have of dogs running off um, were all of those. So Dawson is a prey drive. I had Molly who was gone for four hours, I think, before her owner. Her dad showed up and was able to find her at the trailhead, of course. Um, <laughs> but she had gotten spooked by a big group of, of boys who were coming up the trail, and they were all loud and boisterous. And that was enough of a trigger for her, and off she went. Um, and, and when dogs are in that fear state that you're not going to get them back, you have to wait. you got to find them. Um, and what was the other one? Oh, thunderstorms. Um, my own dog took off from a thunderstorm and he was gone for about two hours. Uh, but we found him back at the van underneath of it. Um, but those, those are the most common, common cases. If a dog takes off after a scent, it's way more likely they're going to return. Um, even if they take off after a deer, they come back. Yeah. Everybody thinks their dog is just going to like continue on for, for these endless kilometers. And they don't. Um, the farthest dog that I've had on GPS that has, left um was 1.9 kilometers that's how far he got before he turned around and that was within 15 minutes i think there and back so they can cover a lot of ground but they do come back yeah and that's definitely a lesson that like waylon has taught me right like and seriously the gps caller i wouldn't let him off leash without it just for my own peace of mind yeah Um, but you know he'll get 200 yards, 220, 230. And the thing I love about the tracking collar is I can tell when he stopped and that is when I recall him. So I don't even waste my breath when I see the the yardage going up. I just wait, just wait. And then every time, seriously, he stops at 220, I call him and then it starts going down and then he reappears. Yeah. Yeah. I do that too. And like, like the dog that I just mentioned that, that really flex to the collar. Um, he was on a long line after that for a while. We reworked the steps, built him back up. Um, he's not a regular dog. He only comes to me for boarding and his parents aren't as, um, they don't follow through as much as I would like. So they, they, um, so he, sometimes he, he fluctuates in his recall ability and his ability to, to come off of a distraction. Um, so that's why he wears the collar. Um, but yeah, but the nice thing about the callers is you're right. You can see when they stop. And so you're right. I don't, I don't even bother wasting my breath either. If they're going and it's going up, I'm waiting. And then that second that they stop, I mark and I reward with the recall. And then as they're coming in, I'm praising them and encouraging them. And it helps the recall so much. And that's part of the reason why 
I want to put the collars on everybody because I feel like it'll probably help with everybody's recall because I can actually use that to my advantage. Yeah. And I feel like it creates this like peace, right? Where I don't feel like I need to like desperately call him. I can just be like really strategic and I don't have to overuse the recall. I don't have to micromanage. Yeah. Yeah. So everyone listening, save your pennies because you need a GPS. <laughs> save your pennies. You don't want to get a GPS caller. <laughs> <laughs> it really is the peace of mind. Like nine and a half times out of ten, or nine point eight times out of ten, I don't need them. Um, it's the one. It's the one percent time that I do where I'm like, I'm really glad that I have the caller. For sure. So, and that's when it's, that's when it's worth its weight in gold. Um, I just wanted to, sorry, I just wanted to wrap up like my point about what to do when dogs take oh, off. Oh, yes, please. I couldn't really answer it, I guess. Um, so if a dog does take off, my top tips are to remain calm. Um, generally, I'll wait where I saw the dog take off. I'll wait at that location for usually up to 15 minutes before I'll start moving in a direction. Um, depending on the dog and the circumstance, I'll either continue in a forward direction, the direction that they went in, or I will start heading back to my vehicle. If I don't find the dogs within, if they haven't come back within a half an hour or I haven't located them, then, which is really rare, um, they get a phone call to the owner so I can update them. And then what we do is we do a grid search. So I'll start to go back, follow my tracks back, get back to the vehicle. If they're not there, then we continue on. We continue you know, waiting for the owners to come. Um, but it honestly, it never gets past that point. Half an hour is like the most that dogs take off now. Um, and that's usually a deer scent or a cattle scent or something like that. Right. But yeah, the main tip, don't panic. Stay where you are for a bit. Um, recall, happy praise, never sound angry. Um, so never like, don't scream at your dog because they've taken off. Don't yell at them. Don't call them stupid. Just be really, really happy. Pretend like nothing's going on, you know? oh, hey, come on, let's go, come on. Like, just make it a good experience for them and wait where you were for about 15 minutes before you start to move. And they usually will end up back where you were. Yeah, okay. Such good tangible steps for people to take, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And hopefully everyone, all you beautiful people listening, hopefully you don't have to experience panic like that. Hopefully it never comes (laughs) to that. But if it does- now you know what to do. And like, seriously, right? Like you see these people yelling at their dogs when they return. I'm like, like, you think your dog is ever going to come back to you again? Come on. Come on. No, exactly. And, and you know, and it happens a lot, like even if a dog is, is not recalling right away and, and the owners, you know, get mad at them when they get back and they say, well, that doesn't make them want to come back anymore. I'm like, even the dog that was gone for, you know, 1.9 kilometers, he still got a reward when he came back because he came back. So you yes. have to reward the dog when they come back. Never, ever punish when they get back because it just, you're just, you're tainting your, your recall. Right. Which you don't, and people are always like, well, they didn't come right away. I'm like, excuse me, what? The dog showed up. The dog is here right now. Let go of all of that. Right. And yes. just feed them. Right. Just yeah. feed them, please. For the love and of some God, people give them that, food. Some people think when you do that, that you're rewarding them for running away. But 
the reward for them running away is whatever they were running away to. They've so already been rewarded for running away. That's already happened. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So you're not, you're not rewarding that you're rewarding the, you're rewarding them coming back to you. So please pay your dog when they get back to you, especially if they run off, because that means that they left that distraction to come, to back, come to back to you. Yeah. So even if it's 10 minutes later, they still left that distraction and returns to you. So reward that. Yeah. Yeah. And you'll be then you'll be less likely to have a dog that will take off because they realize that they get paid when they come back to you. I love it. I love it so much. Okay, so what do you do when you run into other people and dogs on right. the train? Right. Um, I'm very strategic in where I hike. Um, that's my first my first thing is prevention. Um, prevention and management for me, I prefer not to run into other people and particularly other dogs um, on the trail, um, mostly because nine times out of 10, uh, the other people have no idea how their dog should be behaving. They don't have any control over their dog um, and it's just not what I want to deal with. So I pick locations that are very secluded or very unlikely to run into people. Um, and right down to the day of the week is how I choose my trails. So I'm very particular in where I hike. Now, of course, there's sometimes it happens. Sometimes you do come across people, other dogs. Um, this year has been a little crazier because everybody is outside, um, which is lovely. Uh, <laughs> that's another story. Um, yeah, so if if I do come across people, the first thing that I do, well, the first thing that I do in general is I'm really aware of where we're hiking. So I'm always listening for other people. I'm always listening for sounds. I'm always watching the dogs. If they pick up a sound, I'm stopping and I make everybody wait and I want to listen. Um, I always carry my leashes on me. They're always out. So I always have them quickly available. If I need, if I do come across a person with another dog or even just a regular person, um, my first, my first immediate action is to U-turn. So I will pull an emergency U-turn and generally pull my dogs off the trail. If I have enough space to simply beeline into the forest and just like go give them a huge wide berth, I'll do that. Um, if I need to actually leash everybody, then I will recall everybody, round everybody up and leash everybody. I prefer not to because it's just a hassle. Um, I prefer to just beeline into the forest. Um, and that's where my cues like this way come in handy. Um, so if I see a person or another dog, I'm just this way and everybody comes into the forest and follows me. If I have dogs that are quite engaged with what they're seeing, then I will up the ante in terms of um, my excitement level of beelining into the forest. <laughs> because if I'm like super jazzed and running into the woods, like, woohoo, let's go this way. The dogs are like, oh, sweet, what's Ashley doing? And they come with me automatically. And all of a sudden, I'm way more interesting than whatever they're looking at. So that's generally my my main tip is to avoid the, just get out of the area. Um, and that's where being aware of where you're hiking and, and watching for other people is really, really handy. Um, I don't have a lot of advice for what to do on like city trails because I don't generally use them. Um, but I think my advice would probably be the same, and that's to use emergency U-turns, use uh, emergency recalls if you need to, and just simply give space, leash if you have to. But my favorite is just to disappear into the woods. 
Yeah. And, you know, and like, I'm super strategic, right? Like I don't go to trails on weekends that I know will be really busy. If I'm going to do that trail, I plan on having the dogs leash, right? Like I think a lot of it is just that initial planning that allows the luxury of the dogs do for reals just get to be off leash and you get to have a leisurely stroll where it's not like you're worried about running into people. Um, okay. So I feel like that's a really good segue into wildlife encounters and like, and I know it will, I know it will depends like where people are located, but I'd love to hear just about your area. So like, um, obviously you're planning like seasonally you're, you're watching the environment, but can you just give the listeners like some more details about like what that looks like, like on a seasonal basis. And then like on like an individual, like day-to-day basis, the things you're observing and watching for. Um, strategically planning during the day. Um, I try to plan my hikes, avoiding the hot spots of wildlife. So that's generally dusk and dawn. Those are your, those are the most common times you're going to see a lot of wildlife. Um, particularly in the winter, that's when you're going to see the most wildlife. Um, sometimes during the day you'll see some, but it's, they're more likely to be bedded down, um, and resting during the day. So seasonally, if you are going to go out in the winter time, for example, you want to stay in the main sunlight parts, the main daylight parts of the day. So for us up here in the Pacific Northwest, we have daylight savings time. So I have to account for that. So the day gets darker earlier and stays darker later. So dusk and dawn are your hot spots for most wildlife. Um, hiking in the middle of the day is the best way to avoid wildlife. Um, when it comes to summertime and springtime, that can change a little bit. Generally in the, um, like the whelping stages for coyotes and bears and that, which is early springtime, you want to really watch where you're hiking and you want to really watch for wildlife signs, um, poop, scratch marks, um, tracks, anything like that. You want to watch for that and be really observant. Uh, if you see fresh tracks, you want to leave the area. If you see fresh scat, you want to leave the area. Um, if I, I'm always really observant of even like birds. Like if I notice that there's a really big gathering of crows or ravens, I can usually deter that there's going to be something dead there. So even that is something that I can watch for and I'll avoid that area um, because you can also run into wildlife at dead sites like that. Okay. So, okay. So to recap, so time of day, so avoiding dusk and dawn, regardless of the season, right? I think that that's advisable wherever you live. I think that that's kind of a global thing. Right. And that like during, during the day. And if like, I'm doing a morning or an evening hike, I typically just have the dogs on leash just as an extra precaution. And then, yeah, yeah, I think just being observant, right. Being observant of our environment. If there's scat, if there are fresh tracks, right. Like really just being aware of what's happening around you. And I love that what you said, right. Like if you see fresh scat or like really recent signs, you just go back the way you came, right? You're like, nope, yeah. we're not going this way, right? So exactly. I think that's yeah. important, right? And like, obviously for your, for your job, you, you want the dogs to be off leash, right? So you, so you just turn and go the other direction. For everyone listening, if I'm out and I see fresh scat, the dogs go on the leash right away, yeah. right? And I'm just yeah. observing and I'm aware of what's happening, but I definitely am not missing those signals. And then like snow season makes it so much easier. I love snow season. Right. Because I I just keep track of my favorite. Yeah. And the tracks, it's so easy. Like, oh, there was a fox here. There was a bunny here. There was a deer here. 
Actually, I always laugh because in the wintertime, I really realize how many wild rabbits we have in our area because you don't see them in the summertime. And then in the wintertime, I'm like, oh, the whole forest is just littered with bunny tracks. And I'm like, where did they all come from? You don't even know they're there. Right. Amazing. Oh my God. Yeah. So, um, and then, okay. So you're still hiking dogs off leash, obviously. And like springtime when there's lots of babies, but you're just trying to be really aware of your environment and making sure that you're trying to mitigate the risks to the, the new babies as much as you can. Absolutely. Yeah. And if I do pick up that the dogs are, um, picking up a track and they're really, really interested, they're really, really engaged. I will put dogs on leash if I need to. Um, like that's not to say that I just let everybody like, Oh, Hey, we're just going to go back this way. If I have a dog that's really struggling with engaging in a scent or engaging in a track, um, then they're going to go on leash for a little bit until I can get that connection back with them until I real until I figure out that they're actually connecting with me again and, and checking in. Um, but yeah, even in the springtime, it's just really, really important to know wildlife signs because if you know where the wildlife is then you know where you shouldn't be taking your dogs off leash so if you're coming down a trail and there's a lot of coyote scat there's a lot of coyote tracks you hear coyotes somebody else in your city say they said they saw coyotes on that trail keep your dogs on a leash um especially in the springtime because they are more defensive in the springtime and that time of year where encounters are most likely to happen is usually in the spring um, and that's because they have young and that goes for most animals. Um, aside from deer, deer are intense in the fall because they have the rut. Um, but generally, generally speaking for wildlife, springtime is the most likely time for you to have a, an encounter. Um, and so those are the times where you want to utilize leashes, long lines, and just really paying attention to where you are and, and what's going on around you. Yeah. Right. And like, that's definitely something like everyone listening, if you have dogs who are large game chasers, right. So deer, elk, moose, um, springtime, I'm going to advise you to keep the dog on a long leash, right. Because, yeah. um, they will charge, right. Like it, it's, it's such a different animal in that dynamic because of the stakes, right. And, and yeah. the baby being there. So, um, yeah, that's a situation in which like, you know, any other time of year, the, the elk deer may run away, but that time of year, they're not going to run. No, definitely not. And, and that goes for moose too. Like, especially where we are, um, we have a lot of moose and moose are nasty with their babies. Like they will take on dogs, no problem. Um, so yeah, if you're, you know, springtime is definitely the time of year where you want to utilize leashes to your advantage if you need to. Um, and just, for me, it's, it's about just observing what's going on around me and just making those choices of what trail I'm going to take. I generally let the dogs lead. Um, that's my whole philosophy is letting them lead. But if, if they're going down a trail that's quite frankly covered in wildlife tracks, then I'm going to take them a different way to, to set them up for better success. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So any other thoughts about how we can strategically use timing seasonally and observations of wildlife to make it safer for our dogs to be off leash? Um, for timing wise, just, just avoiding that dusk and dawn time is my favorite. I mean, a lot of people need to be out at dusk and dawn and that's okay, but just being aware that that's a more likely time for you to have an encounter and, and again using that leash if you need to if you have a dog that you know is particularly 
a big game chaser. Dusk and dawn is a really popular time for deer. So keep your eyes out for the deer. And honestly, my, my number one thing is just observe where you're walking. Oh, just observe because wildlife is there and it's up to us to be aware that they're there and it's up to us to mitigate that risk. So the more you're aware of the different types of wildlife signs, the better you can plan your hike. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. And I feel like we talked about this, you know, in the first conversation we had, but like just making a lot of noise, right? Like, you yeah. know, those of you who follow me on Instagram and see my stories, Waylon always has a bell on always. Yeah. He's going to be awfully, she's got a bell on and I'm loud. And like, you know, we were talking last time about how we're constantly singing and talking to the dogs yeah. and like, that's really important. That's very strategic, right? Like if I'm yeah. out and I have the dogs off leash, I'm being very like conscious of like, I am here. If you'd like to get away from yeah. us, please do that. Right. And, and that works almost every time. Yeah, absolutely. And like, I mean, <laughs> some people want to go out into the wild and they want to look for wildlife and they want to observe wildlife. And that's great. I totally like doing that too, but it's not the activity to do with your dog. No. So you need to be loud and and present and and watching things and observing with your dog um and that goes back to my pet peeve of wearing the freaking headphones while you're hiking don't do that just be aware of where you are everyone listen listen watch talk make noise but just be aware of where you are and that that's the best way to avoid wildlife encounters is to just be aware and to be present so make yourself known wherever you are Yes. Oh my God. I love it. So much wisdom. Okay. So, um, I want to talk just a little bit more about livestock. So this is not something I've experienced, but the, the question was from someone who lives in the UK and they're yeah, I saw that. right. Yeah. So dogs can be shot for chasing livestock. Right. So, um, obviously we want to keep dogs safe. Right. So I think that, you know, obviously we could use a leash, but if we're not going to do that, do you have any like do you feel like livestock pre presents like a different distraction level for dogs? Like, I don't know. I don't know. Tell me how you feel about wildlife and how you handle that. I mean, wildlife, excuse me, livestock. Livestock. Um, I, hmm, we live in cattle country where we are. So livestock is part of the hike. It, we will come across cows. It happens. Um, the thing about BC is a lot of our crown land, so that's land that's public use, um, is shared grazing leases, which means ranchers can let their cattle graze for the majority of the year. Um, as a dog walker, this drives me absolutely nuts um, because <laughs> cows are, as you said, a particular kind of distraction. Some dogs do not care about cows at all. We can be 10 feet away from a cow and they don't care. For whatever reason, I haven't figured out why yet. Some dogs just don't, whether they don't register it as a prey or whatever. I don't know. They don't care about the cows. But some dogs are very interested in cattle. Um, and this is where me having that history of reinforcement and just a history with the dog comes in handy because then I know which dogs are more likely to be engaged in the cattle and which ones aren't. So for me, it becomes... Um, strategic planning again so for us I know in my city when the cattle are grazing and what elevations they're grazing at so they eventually they go up in the spring and then they come back down in the fall so I try to choose trails that are 
below or above where the cattle are grazing um, based on the group that I have. So if I have a group of dogs that are more engaged in cattle, then I will choose a trail that is nowhere near where the cattle are grazing. If I have dogs that are easier to disengage from cattle, then I'm okay walking in areas where we may run into them. It becomes a little strategic that way. Um, but cattle can be difficult um, because they don't, because they have a tendency to run and then stop. So the issue for dogs when it comes to cattle is they get that prey drive going because they're running and then all of a sudden the cows will just stop. And so you'll have the dog stop and they don't really know what to do with the cattle at that point. So it's just, it's a very different dynamic where as opposed to deer, deer take off and they go very, very fast. And most dogs give up the chase because they're like, I'm never going to catch that freaking thing. But cows, the distraction can stay higher because they stop. And so the dogs have chances to sort of get around them and get really roused up. Um, so livestock can be tricky. Um, but that's, Again, where I said you have to have that reinforcement history. So practicing on other distractions, lower distractions first before having your dogs in environments where there are livestock. If you have a dog that's very interested in livestock, then I would do a lot of recall practice with them before allowing them off leash near livestock or in areas where you think you're going to come across livestock. Um, because like the person in the UK said, uh, it's the same thing here in BC. If your dog is, is found chasing livestock, they can be shot. Um, and it does happen. Um, we had a dog that got shot on a ranch pretty close by here like five years ago because he was chasing the guy's cattle and he couldn't stop him. Um, so avoidance is my biggest, my biggest advice. Um, long lines if you need to. And then just practicing that reinforcement history. So... Um, I have a lot of dogs that have different cues, so I may not use the actual recall of come, but I might use this way and just giving the cattle a nice wide berth, um, giving them lots and lots and lots of space. So if we're coming up on a trail and I see cattle up ahead, again, this is where your observation skills come in handy. So you should see the cows before your dogs ever see them. Um, if you see them coming, then you're going to leave the area huge, huge wide berth, leash dogs that you need to. And just practice that reinforcement history. Um, but honestly, I just avoid them as much as I can. Yeah, right. And honestly, like, I think it's one of those things that like, if I see cows, I'm like, heck yes, here's a training opportunity, right? I slap that long cool. leash on Waylon, right? Yep. And I'm like, okay, I've got this. So I think everyone listening, if you're out with just with your individual dog and you see livestock, use mm -hmm. caution the dog on a long leash or something but then I think you can use it as a training opportunity right absolutely and that that's the that's the flip side about livestock so is yeah you can use them as the opportunity for training for wildlife so it's a really good training opportunity for deer prevention so if a dog's got a really high prey drive and you've got them on that long line already yeah absolutely use that cow in the distance as a training opportunity um I do a lot of engage disengage with the dogs with the cows so they're allowed to stare at the cows for a little bit and then we're going to move on and then you guys can look at them again but then we're going to move on um so just keeping them from that initial run at the cows is the most important for me um but then after that yeah absolutely use the livestock for training that's as long as you're not hurting the animals then that that's great 
Yeah, absolutely. And like, I love what you're saying, right? Like giving the dogs an opportunity. Like we can't tell them not to look at the exciting thing in the environment. That's silly. Exactly. That's too, but it's it way too really much to ask of them. It really is. And I've, I'm actually, I've, I mentioned that I got a video that I wanted to post um, on my Facebook page of an incident with some cattle. And, and I've got, I think it's eight dogs in that group. And not a single one of them ran at those cows. They're all off leash. And we simply just went the other way. But in the video, you can see one of the dogs is staring pretty intensely at the cows. Um, and she's allowed to. She's not moving. She's just staring at them. And, and once they've had that minute to sort of look at what they're looking at and understand it, then they're more likely to come with you because they've investigated it. They've seen what it is. And then they can continue. Whereas if you're constantly just telling your dog not to even look at something, I feel like you're like crushing their spirit. Like they're, they're curious animals. They want to see what they're looking at. Let them look at it, but then move them away. And I feel like by taking it completely off the table, you just add more value to the very mm-hmm. thing you don't want them to do. Yeah, absolutely. If you're just like, oh, no, no, we're just, no. It's just, <laughs> it's like telling a teenager no, right? Like you're, you're making it more appealing to them. Whereas if you just, you know, okay, we're going to look at the cow for a little bit and then we're going to go this way with some really good treats. Like, you know, you're getting two types of rewards. You're getting the reward of the natural behavior of looking at the cows and then you're getting the reward of leaving and getting paid for leaving. Like it's, yeah, it's just, livestock is one of those, they're funny that way. They can be, they can be a pain in the ass if the dogs are really engaged and, and, you know, and they can be really hard to work with, but if you can get the dogs on a leash and you can use it as a training opportunity, then they're awesome. Do, I have love hate cattle, do the cattle ever like charge at the dogs or they just <laughs> Yes and no. Um, <laughs> over the years, I have observed many different behaviors from cows. Um, I've had cows even follow us on walks. Like, I don't know what, I don't know if the cow thought that I had food or what it was, but this one memory in my head, we're like walking down this trail and there was just two cows, just two. I don't know where the heck they came from, but they just appeared behind us. And like, every time I turned around, they were just like trucking down the trail. And I was like, okay, like I've got 10 dogs here. So we're trying to go down the trail and they'd stop. And then I would look around and they're still following us. Like, Why the heck is this cow following us? And it does happen. Um, particularly in the fall, I find they're really attracted to the sound of vehicles, I think, because they associate it with food. So sometimes you'll notice that cows will come closer to you in the fall, um, because they just associate, especially with dogs. I think they associate like farmers, dogs, cows, like they're like, oh, it's, it's fall and our farmer has a dog. So let's just go over to those dogs. So sometimes they do follow us and it's really interesting and it's, that becomes the tricky part where I'm trying to like convince the dogs that they're not important because the cows are following us. Um, But we did in the springtime when there's calves um, again is the most, most common time you're going to have a negative encounter with cows. Um, Mama cows are very protective of their calves. Um, And even in my vehicle, I've had cows chase the, chase the vehicle. Um, because we've been go- we've been driving through where there's calves and the cows are very upset, um, <laughs> so they will they will charge after dogs um, because they have to charge after coyotes when they're out on the on the grazing lease. Um, so uh, we I have we have been charged by one herd of cattle, 
um, where it was actually like quite scary because the cows were just like running at us. Um, and I'm convinced in that situation that there had been another dog walker who had had her dogs there. And I think they had been harassing the cows earlier because they were so agitated and they just like beelined after us and like took out trees coming at us. Like it was insane. Um, so yeah, so definitely being aware of where they're at and if they have calves or not is really important. Yeah. So everyone, I think the moral of the story is be aware of whatever your dog's particular prey is when they're yeah. having babies. Cause you yeah. need to know those details, right? Yeah, absolutely. That's really yeah. important. And not only for our dog safety, but also for the well-being of these animals, right? Like the intention is yeah. never to disturb wildlife. No, never, never, never. And that the, it's the complete opposite. The intention is to completely, is to leave wildlife completely undisturbed. Um, and so, yeah, you're right. So just be aware of, of what your dog is most engaged with, what they find most rewarding in terms of wildlife, and then just do your best to mitigate that risk. Um, however that looks for you in your area. Yes. Oh my God. This was so amazing. I think people are going to be so excited to hear these answers. Okay. So Ashley, for everyone listening who doesn't already know you, can you tell them how they can connect with you? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, on Instagram, I'm at Kamloops Urban Tales. Um, and you can also find me on Facebook at Urban Tales Adventures. Um, I post a lot of video, a lot of photos. Um, yeah, that's the best two ways to get a hold of me. Um, and yeah, follow along and see all the fun dogs on all their adventures. Thank you so much. Hey guys, so I do not take promoting a product lightly. I really don't. I'm not gonna tell you about a product I don't really believe in, and I'm not gonna tell you about a product that doesn't have a fabulous team behind the product, but I was out of CBD for probably like two weeks, and then the lovely ladies at VetCS got me another bottle, and I didn't really think about it, but after I started giving the dogs CBD again, Waylon's energy level greatly increased. I think that the CBD helps him feel so much better. So guys, this is not a gimmick. There is no bullshit. I believe in this product, and if you think that your dog could benefit from CBD, I highly suggest check out VetCS. You can learn more about CBD for dogs, cats, and horses at Vet cs.com and you can use code disorderly dogs for 10% off your first purchase. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you'd like to learn more about how you can connect with me for training, you can go to my website, agfdogtraining.com. If you'd like more training inspiration and insight, you can follow me on Instagram at a good feeling underscore NCO. If you'd like to become a member and support the podcast, please check us out on Patreon. You can check us out at patreon.com slash disorderly dogs. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast so that you don't miss out out on any future episodes. And if you really like this podcast and you want to go above and beyond for me, you could leave a five-star review over on Apple Podcasts to help more like-minded individuals find us.